As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, Newcastle show us that we need to take them seriously with a manic draw against Manchester City. We'll be talking about Leeds, who smashed Chelsea. Are there problems for Thomas Tuchel's side? And just how good is Jesse Marsh at refining the intensity at Ellen Road? We'll also talk about a cause for concern for West Ham after no goals in their opening three games. And how seriously do we have to take Arsenal? Three wins out of three at the start of the season. This is the game. Hello again, welcome back to The Game Podcast. I'm Hugh Wizencroft. Uh, this Monday morning, joined by Alison Rudd, Tony Cascarino and Gregor Robertson to look back at, well, to be honest, it's been, I was going to say, a, another eventful weekend in the Premier League. So far, it's been quite an exciting season. Hopefully, that trend does continue. Fantastic match at St. James's Park. Kind of underline that this weekend. We asked the question, didn't we, going into uh, into this weekend, whether Newcastle United would send a message to football against Manchester City that they're a team that we really need to take seriously, maybe announce themselves in a big way in terms of what they could do this season. And at 3-1 up, we thought that was definitely the case. 3-all it was in the end. Loads of different, I guess, aspects for us to discuss but ultimately Newcastle didn't get the job done maybe Manchester City could have scored more maybe Newcastle should have had a penalty maybe they should have had a player sent off let's get into it shall we um Tony I'm going to start with you do you think Newcastle in some way announced themselves about how seriously we, we need to take them this season or do you just think it was a bit of a mad game? No, I think we can take them seriously because their form in 2022 has been nearly or probably enough to get them in the Champions League. The amount of victories, their performances sort of January onwards. I think the way that Eddie Howe's restructured the club as in his team as well. I'd put in, you know, nearly a whole back four, new goalkeeper, there's midfielders come in, Callum Wilson being added back to the starting lineup because of injury. Um, they're a dynamic team. And with that, they have the one ball carrier, um, which is Saint Maximin, who does what he does and sometimes he looks terrible and other times it looking incredible which he gave probably Carl Walker one of the toughest afternoons he's had for a long time but it was a joy to you know and not be fearful of City because City can just rip you apart in any moment and you know we, at 3-1 it felt a sort of inevitable that City would get back because that's what they do and they keep doing the same things and um, at their brilliant best they can cause you problems and once Haaland made it 3-2, I I think probably everyone in, in, in the studio here will probably say, well, we knew it was going to be 3-3 at the end. But fair credit to the way that Newcastle played the game. And, and Eddie Howe's done an amazing job at Newcastle. And I know it's been muted before. This is nothing really new. But to change them from being a team that were so scared of playing a way that might hurt the opposition, they now feel like they want to really go toe-to-toe with teams, which they did against City. What kind of team are we looking at in the shape of Newcastle at the moment? A top eight, top six side? What do you think? 
Oh, um, sports washing. I just have to say that before okay. we talk about Newcastle. Um, <laughs> because if no one mentions it, then sports washing has won and has to be mentioned every time. Thank you, thank you. You would definitely have mentioned that. And, and you know, Manchester City too, while we're there. Yeah. Well, I can't yeah. be sure, can I, Gregor? I can't <laughs> be sure. That aside, and it is hard actually to place it in a bubble and not think about it. But anyway, I have to do it because I'm on the podcast. They are looking good. Um, Eddie Howe's getting loads of plaudits. Uh, and right, right, rightly so. That sense of um, one of the narratives around Newcastle has been, oh, uh, a little bit shocked actually with all that dosh. They haven't spent more, bought more. But I think he's been very astute in how he's bought so that he's analysed the personality of the player and their stats. And what he's actually, <laughs> instead of just going for a sort of, if I spend enough money, we'll be okay. He's, he's thinking about how you'll, they can evolve and each player will slot in and feed off the crowd and feel part of the project. So it's very clever what he's done there, in fact. And I think the biggest compliment I can... There are two compliments I want to give them in football sense. Is One is that they don't... They don't look like a team that have had all the stories and all the headlines and all the upheaval and all the sort of recent history of the club. They look like a team that are very comfortable with what they're trying to do and have bought in completely with the expectation of the crowd rather than finding it overwhelming, which I think happened a lot to Newcastle in the past because you'd have this disparity between what was happening on the pitch and what was expected in the stands. And sometimes that just made players play worse rather than got them over the line. They found a harmony in how to utilise the atmosphere and I would call it desperation as well. And that's 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 a difficult chemical formula, I think, and they've pulled that off very well. And the other is, I I have got slightly tired of teams that, when it comes to playing Manchester City, stop being themselves or think that they it's a game they've already lost before they've kicked a ball, and just hope not to be battered. And that is their priority. And Eddie Howe said he decided he wasn't going to do that. He was going to go at. Man City because he knows there is space if you're brave enough to exploit it and that's certainly what happened they just went for it and then they got into that sort of roller coaster feel where it's working, we're <laughs> 3-1 ahead oh, this is working and uh, I agree with Tony completely um, City didn't play badly at all really but they, it, and, and you felt they would at least get a point out of the game but please, please can t- other teams look at City and think we don't have to be so scared. In fact, we could possibly even enjoy playing against them. Other teams don't have some some maximum, though. He's, you know that word "unplayable" has been banded around, and it kind of it often is, and it's a bit of a cliche. But he really was yesterday in in moments like just because of his speed. And you know, Kyle Walker isn't a slouch. We know that he's just ridiculously fast. And you know, as Tony said, sometimes he can look like you know he's running around, running down a dark alleyway, but when he's on it and he's been on it more and more actually I have to say he's improving um, he is unplayable like I, I I couldn't imagine how to defend against some maximum because he can go inside he can go outside he's got a trick uh, he can change direction quickly as well you know you saw that for the first goal he was going down the line chopped chop back and put the cross in on his right foot um, you know he set up the first two goals and then he was fouled he scythed down by John Stones for the third for the free kick so you know Sam Maximan is just an, an enormous weapon for Newcastle, and, and you know Eddie Howe said he want the space was behind the fullbacks. That's that's what he, 
that's what he pointed out and that's what uh, Sam Maximum exploited. Why do you think he doesn't do it more often? I don't. I think he's not always fully fit or doesn't believe he's fully fit. Maybe, maybe. Um, he's got an erratic style. Yeah, he has. Yeah. Yeah. He's got an erratic style. So. I, can I just jump in here? Yeah, yeah, because I, I can't say the name, but I had friends, a friend of mine, um, his son played for Newcastle and one of the biggest frustrations where he would lose the ball and there were times certainly under Steve Bruce at the football club where he'd lost the ball on the halfway line or just inside the halfway and going on one of them ridiculous runs and the whole of the team felt like they'd been caught out so now the, the opposition literally coming over are coming over the top of them and flooding the, the Newcastle team so that was a big issue now I feel like he was running at Carl Walker where you want him to run at Carl Walker, far higher up the pitch. Yeah. You know, not in the middle of your own half. And don't get me wrong, he still did it at times yesterday, he did, yeah. but not as often. You know, try and get him to do it where you can recover from the loss of the ball if you if it happens. And part of that's about the team you're playing against too. You know, they, Manchester City are the team who's going to dominate possession and flood flood players in your own half so there is going to be space there whereas other teams are going to try and double up and although it doesn't matter there's times when there's like four, four blue shirts kind of <laughs> swarming around them and just the anxiety that he, he you know it ripples through the team because of them is mm. just extraordinary it's some sight I wasn't impressed by Manchester City this weekend at all really particularly the the defence um, you, you mentioned Carl Walker already I think Cancelo Stones lacked composure Diaz came on for Ake um, but you looked at them and you went that's not really an elite it, did, it didn't look like an elite defence in fact I thought Edison was pretty poor as well and they were, he could have done better with some of the goals but I, I just you know for me I, I went they're actually showing other managers, other teams, how to get them right now because that back four, mm. it doesn't look like, you know, the defence that you're going to build a, a title on right now. You know, keeping the ball, you know, dominating possession, that's one thing. But when they lost it, I thought it was way too easy for Newcastle. Well, you, I, you know, there was a part of me that I'm watching Shinchenko, and I know we're going to talk a bit about Arsenal later, but you sort of feel he's such a Man City type of player that really, Pep, as your ego got... <laughs> that far ahead of you I mean because I look at Sinchenko and I think wow and even I, games last year when I was watching him I always think he never ever let you down he does exactly what Pep wants How, to step on, into so Tony, why, why is letting Sinchenko go an act of ego out of control well because you think you can let someone that good go to a you know I'll say a rival because Arsenal are not a rival as in for the title but they are a, a, an improving team and, and to a guy you work with you know Arteta knows Zinchenko and how good he was or say is and he knew he was desperate to get him and I don't think Cancelo's a very good footballer and he's a talented lad I just don't think he's as complete as Zinchenko is I think he was their best left back so you have chose to let your best left back go and the second best is still a very good player because everybody at City is a good player an exceptional talent and and prepared to do that. And sometimes I feel like that with Pep. There is a part of me, yeah, I can do that decision. I can make that mm. and no one's going to question I me. I think because it's more, I... more a sort of form of perversity than yeah, well, ego. Like, yeah, okay. Well, it's a mixture of both, isn't it? It's, it's, yeah, it's showing that I don't, I'm not, he doesn't like one player being important, more important well, than Well, De Bruyne is definitely He doesn't definitely like that. it when, when they say they don't want to be there either. Yeah. And I think both of, both of those players, Jesus as well, said yeah. we want to leave. Sterling too. Yeah. Sterling, yeah. yeah. That, that's a fair point. And I, and I understand that uh, mindset of anyone wants to leave, you let them go. I think that's a 
really definite way. Unless you're managed, obviously. <laughs> you can't get anybody to stay, <laughs> even the ones you don't want. I, I, yeah, I, I, I understand what you're trying to say there, yeah. there, Alison, but um, I didn't like Guardiola at the end of the game either, basically being like, well, it was one of those days, crazy game, anything that c- could have happened, because I think they are a level above Newcastle, if not a couple of levels above Newcastle United. And we know it's the Premier League, but ultimately they didn't do well enough to control that game. I, I think Pep Guardiola should have been angrier, if you like, at the end of that. Um, speaking of Manchester City, I also think that some of their players haven't yet clicked with Haaland in a way that they're not playing for him. <laughs> if you've got a striker like him, you play for him. Phil Foden needs to square the ball. He's alone. He's in the six-yard box. And that is something that they need to work on in, in training. I'm like, they should be used to it, to be perfectly honest. That's that's not the Guardiola way either, is it? Yeah. For everyone to play for one player. But they need to. But they're they, not going to, I don't think. Well, if you've got a lethal goal scorer in your team, who are you trying to get the ball to when you attack? I can't see City is it, Okay, that. On, on that, is as Guardiola... Look, if you take his time at City, he has had a lot of issues with wide players. You know, Sane was one of them. You're seeing this with Bernardo Silva now. Is he going to stay? I'll put Mahrez in that bracket. I'll put Sterling in that bracket. And I'd also feel Foden doesn't look like he's really kicked on because he's a tremendous talent. But the wide areas, the demands on them keeping the ball all the time, sometimes stopping, it stops the things that you're talking about, Hugh, that would suit Haaland, getting things across the face of the goal or sometimes squaring the ball, which he didn't do the week before Phil Foden. You know, and, and there is an element that you are so brainwashed into keeping that football that that is what all Pep Guardiola's team that's their first thing they must address keep that ball um, so it's a, I think it's a tricky one because you only have to look at the numbers of wide players at City who have been in and out of that team and it frustrates them I can never guess his wide players mm. but yesterday I really? thought really? one yesterday I looked at it and thought it was almost a conventional too conventional a 4-3-3 from Manchester City when it came to the wide players like you were looking at Carl Walker and Tat Maximan running at him and Bernardo Silva sort of jogging back and I was like, oh, they need an old school winger here who's going to protect their fullback. And it used to be that they just had a Sterling, like a dynamic player who would pin players back mm. on his side of the pitch, knowing that, you know, you've got to keep, you got you need two players to keep an eye on these wide players. But you've got, you know, if you've got Bernardo Silva or a Phil Foden in a wide area, as good players as they are and as quality they can still provide quality in those areas mm. but it's not like an explosive premier league winger that you need to like everyone keep your eyes on them they are going to control the ball they are going to wait for a pass they're not going to run in behind you if you leave you know it, it just leave that space sterling over the space of four or five yards could hurt you as long as the ball came in, in the right weight i don't see those players as doing the same thing so i do think they need to sort of readdress where they are um, Especially in, ter- in terms as- of keeping the, the wingers pinned back because yeah. I think like I say Newcastle have showed other teams where the where you can hurt Man City Especially as Dan Byrne was the left back <laughs> you know, and yeah, you look at that. You look at that before the game, and you think yeah. he could be in trouble here because yeah. and he wasn't. He ain't done it. No, I mean, he's done no. a great job in that position at Brighton, hasn't he? In in a three, he's played on the left side and played left back. I'd say, with regards to you seeing a bit of wingers, you know, helping helping out, it's more actually about the midf who their midfielders, the holding midfielders are now, and they don't have a Fernandinho really. Although Rodri's stepped up his game to such an extent, he's the one now. So you're never going to get them tracking back to kind of help out the fullbacks, really. Not for not Manchester, not Manchester City. It's going to be the, whoever the holding midfielder is. To be honest, if we 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 touched on it first of all, didn't we, Gregor and Al? You know that. Sam Maximin is he's one of a very rare breed that pins Cole Walker back. How many times does Cole Walker get picked 
pin yeah. a pin back in a season. I'd say nearly zero most of the year. Very few can do it. And we've also not mentioned much about Kevin De Bruyne because, you know, if Sam Maximum was Newcastle's uh, talisman, De Bruyne was cities again. It's just the way he... Every time they go behind, he seems to kind of find this new level. It's like it's like he's in a trance. He's like he's, his drive to kind of fire the team forward and get, get the team back into the game, get a winner if possible, is remarkable. And he always just comes up with something my pre-season prediction player of the season will be Kevin De Bruyne I've seen nothing yet to dissuade me <laughs> from that um, the last pass for the final goals yeah. is brilliant I know it gets a little touch but it's absolutely fantastic You're talking about the, the relationships with, with Haaland that's that's probably going to be the kind of thing that you're going to see them trying more and more of because he drew players in although they didn't really step out they stepped out just that little half yard it was enough and distracted them enough because that's what Alan does he draws defenders towards him and that's going to create space behind them you can't you can't defend high against Haaland can you you know you're asking for trouble so you're, most teams and West Ham definitely ch- attempted that was that they go we'll sit as deep as we can because we can't have the ball in behind us which does make the midfield slightly bigger which suits Kevin De Bruyne but then we're seeing a different style of attack from Manchester City. Maybe it's just teething problems. The late runner from midfield, Gundogan, then Bernardo Silva. It works for them. Um, yeah, I just don't see them really clicking full gear yet. Manchester City, obviously, a couple of new players. It, it will come. I'm Good sure it will come. for the title race, though, isn't it? That they drop two points. <laughs> well, it depends who's going to be second, really, doesn't it? If you guys pull your finger out, maybe. Listen, let's talk about the major incidents in the game. I'm going to start with the penalty, the non-penalty for Newcastle United. John Stones going up early, clattering Fabian Cher. Penalty, Tony? Well, I, I would say, and this is a really cliched answer, because if it's a foul there or, on it, or anywhere else on the pitch, which I think it would have been given as a foul, then in the 18-yard box, why it wasn't given? Because I, I thought it was a foul immediately. I thought, well, look, this is definitely an attempt by John Stones to con- make contact with the player that sends him to the ground. Um, and it's a foul that defenders have done over the decades and got away with it. Um, you'd like to think in a modern game that referees can be all over it and don't get me wrong I do like contact it just I felt John Stones have probably gone too far I think it probably was a penalty mm. I think anywhere else no. on the pitch he's going to give a I, I agree entirely with what Tony just said except I would flip it for the same reason I think it's a foul anywhere else on the pitch yeah. but it's not enough to be a penalty mm. I think you can well, have you, you can have a higher bar for a penalty I, yeah, I, I, I absolutely do think that well, it's that a big, the penalty. It's a big award, isn't it? Being rewarded a shot from... For a, for a diagonal from, ball. Do you know the, you know yeah, the laws like, of the game? <laughs> <laughs> you I've got a rough football. idea. Yeah, rough idea. Not many no. footballers do know the laws. Uh, no, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> the referee it, alongside. doesn't matter yeah, really. Do, it's not in the laws of the game. No, but it's the truth. It's the truth. It's the truth. A referee gives a free kick anywhere else and he's going to... It's going to be hard to not, give a penalty. It's not a penalty, given they've all decided that this is going to be the season where they're going to allow more that physicality. That too, so. yeah. Yeah, okay, all right. In which case, Kieran Trippier was lucky or unlucky when it came to his reversed red card? Chopping down Kevin De Bruyne as he galloped well, through him, midfield. Though. See, if you're going to use... Well, what did he do? Language that <laughs> what makes did he, it sound what, like what he did he other than he did. What, it was a cynical but not dangerous foul, and that is not a red card. Left his feet, made contact with the player, what, just underneath the, the, the was, knee? The player was not in danger. Of course he was. No, he wasn't. Of course he was. He was. I mean, yeah. It was reckless. Because any footballer, and I'll ask you to, when you're running with the ball, you expect people to challenge for the ball. Hmm. 
every footballer is annoyed when an opponent makes no genuine attempt to get the ball, only basically attack them. Doesn't matter how you do it. It's a bad foul. And listen, even if you think it was a red or not, it was given as a red card by the referee. There is absolutely no way it should have been overturned by VAR. There's absolutely ah, no reason no, 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 why no, no, VAR point. should the have referee, asked the referee, the referee to look at the screen. Because he wanted the chance to look at it. What? <laughs> you can't hmm. be serious. You, you don't get another chance if you don't give a red. So you, if you give a red, you know you can take a Well, you do, don't have, you? And, and you can chat to someone. You do get another chance to look at it if someone. you don't give a red. Because but you're VAR in charge. You're in says, charge of looking at it. No, but VAR then tells you. You've given nothing for that. You should probably have a look. It's probably a red card. So but you don't need doubt, to. When in doubt, you you give the you give the red if you think there might be a red because you know you're going to get you because they're trying to make the referees more in charge of the game, the ones that are on the pitch. Then you can go to the monitor and you can have another look at so it. So basically, everything that you want to look at again, you give a red card. Give it in case. Yeah, as long so as just give eight red cards a game and then reverse seven of them. It's a stretch, Ali. I don't, that no, we're, we're, <laughs> we're getting carried away on this in this incident. It, but should it, it might, should it have been overturned, Tony? Well, I didn't think it was a red card. But should it have been overturned? Well, we don't know well if I don't overturned. think it should have been a red card, the it should have been Exactly, it should have been overturned. Should the referee have been that asked to why, look at the screen? No, okay. He wanted yes. to look at the screen. Yes, I, I wanted him to see what I saw. Which and one? I saw a challenge that was an incident of breaking up the play. And was it that high of a challenge? Not really. Mm. Did he really catch the knee of Devin De Bru- uh, Kevin De Bruyne? Was it dangerous? Not really. I didn't think so. So no, I, in my opinion, he made the right call and the outcome was the right so uh, did, red so, card for so, that. So would you so, encourage more of those challenges? No attempt to play the ball, just the man, take them out, all good? Well, there was about probably in that game about five or six challenges in that game where players have been taken out deliberate foul to benefit your team Gregor so you're going to red card all of them yeah I think some of the kind of if it's some dangerous. of the, I the it apologists for this have been remarkable like Tony, Peter, Ali. Peter Walton today in the paper saying he grazed his, he grazed his knee with the outside of his foot his and name. then and then Eddie Howe was like it wasn't high it was fair it's like Hang on a minute. It's like the ultimate example of a professional foul. Yeah. That can never be described as fair. Yeah, yeah. And it was not low. It was certainly a high challenge. The thing about it is you can't you can say, no, it wasn't dangerous because it didn't hurt him. Fair enough. Mm. But if he's like half a second later, he's gonna touch him with his studs. He's gonna catch him with a it is gonna be reckless and dangerous. So you know, it was okay, but it could quite easily not have been. Well, the, the I, fact I think it's right Gregor, on the very line. Now, the fact I think is, if you if you let it, let it be a red card, in the VAR card booth, I'd be happy with it. If you were in the VAR booth and you've seen the referee give a red card for that, and you've watched the replay back, what is the reason that you're giving the referee for asking him to look at the screen? Because like, where think, was the clear and I obvious think, mistake in your opinion? In my opinion, I didn't think it was a red card. As no, but, as I but, saw but, but what if, reason? Like Gregor said, if it were, if the words Gregor just used was if it was half a second later, well, it wasn't half a second later. But okay, it's a, but it's still a dangerous so, challenge. So you have to oh. But there's many dangerous challenges in football. We've just talked about a penalty incident. Should I have then said, well, that was quite dangerous. If he was half a second later, he could have ripped his head off. Or, you know, all the ifs and in-betweens. The fact I'm looking exactly what I saw, and I didn't think that was a red card. So if you're in the VAR... And please, I'm definitely overturning I, 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 it. I want... I want, I want I just, Hugh, Hugh, I, you I need to go know. to Hyde Park and be on Speaker's Corner if it exists No, anymore. no, no. I just want to know. <laughs> no, no, genuinely. Because the VAR has to have seen a clear and obvious error. So he's, they've seen the referee give a, a 
red card, Peter Bang. Yeah, whereas it wasn't a red card. He's, he's watched it back and he's gone, the mistake that you've made here is what? That it, his studs didn't connect? Like, what There's is... There's constant dialogue. The VAR But what did you see? VAR would have said... Or what didn't you see that made said, you think... Would have said, oh, okay, that 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 isn't as clear cut as you might have thought. Are you interested in seeing it again? Or are you absolutely sure? And the referee would have said, I wasn't absolutely sure, but I'm glad I'm glad I wanted to slow the game down. I wanted a chance to talk to you. Want oh. to have a look on the screen. So do, wanna do, get, wanna, I want to get it right because that if there is a point to VAR, it is that I get something like putting a team down to 10 men. Correct. Or the penalty earlier on, which they did nothing about. I think it's quite easy to see why they didn't do it. It's because it... He did did catch him with the outside of his boot, and there was it was like around the halfway line, so there was a long way to go. So by the you know by the rules, we're going by the rules again. It's not. Yeah, but why did he easy. send him off then? He sent him off because he thought it was a dangerous challenge. Yeah, it's so not, the, so they looked the, at it and realised it wasn't that dangerous. Yeah. But what did you see that was a clear and obvious obvious error? Look, well, the, touching the, the, him with the, the outside of his boot. To I move, mean, come on. To move it on a bit, should 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 such blatant professional fouls be red cards? Yes, do we think? In my opinion, always. Any attempt, if the ball is six foot away from a player and you have your eyes on the player, you go for the player, no attempt for the ball, for me, you're endangering an opponent. And you've played football, you've played football. I've played football too, you are. (laughs) And you've played football, Ali. Right, and when you've got the ball, when you're going for the ball, that's the focus, getting possession. You rarely expect someone to come and take you out. And when they do, it's endangering you. It is, but you could also so, you could also say it's it's halting a clear goal scoring opportunity. Like so, that's another aspect of it. And you know, if they're that cynical, I think possibly the only way of putting Granit Xhaka got a straight red. I think it was against Bournemouth a couple of seasons ago. They've changed on the halfway line yes. because no, but come on, Alison, the ball is six foot away. Do you expect a player to cut you in half? Isn't well, that endangering I, 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 your opponent? Often they are, though. Often they are. Like, did you? Blackpool, you you'll have seen. I was just going to say, yeah. Blackpool, at the our weekend, new EFL expert, Carey on Matson. He the ball is knocked ahead by Matson, and Carey just takes him out from behind. Mm. It's not he, a dangerous challenge. Nowhere near as dangerous as Kieran Trippier is because his feet are on the ground. He just literally chops the back. Yeah, of but his there's leg. more. Well, there's more force, there and there no. often has to be. You have to go. You often kick them because you want to make sure you're not going <laughs> to graze. Kieran Trippy didn't deliberately graze him on the knee. He stretched out as far as he could. He didn't go with his studs because he knew that would be a red card. He went with the outside of his boot and he tried to trip him, and he did. But normally, you've got to kick them. So there's a bit of force behind it, and I think then it should be a red card, absolutely. Well, okay. good luck. You are on the verge of signing Casemiro, who makes more fouls <laughs> in that manner than any player in Europe. And it so was instructive that, Gar- that, that, that Guardiola didn't, didn't really make any fuss about it because he's watched Fernandinho do it for about exactly. 10 years. That's true. I mean, Vieira and, Ed, um, and Gilberto, well, they did that numerous times for Arsenal in that brilliant invincible team. They were brilliant at doing that. All I'm saying, Tony, there's two of us in here who think it shouldn't have been a red. There's two of us who think it probably should have. It wasn't a clear and obvious error from the referee in that case. We, we, you know, our adjudication panel says 50-50. Unless the referee so, has his own doubts and then you're not overturning him. You're letting him overturn himself. No, but by asking yes. him to come over, you're saying that he made a clear and obvious not, error. That's the rules of the Stand up and be a man and answer the question. If you think you were still right, stay with it. If you don't, get away from it and say no. Let's move on. Thanks for that, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> You've just given us an opportunity to revisit Graeme Souness's comments. <laughs> well, we'll come to that another time, maybe. Uh, 
listen, we can argue and argue and argue about that one. In the end, uh, decent performance from Newcastle United. If they keep that up, they'll be picking up plenty of points, two draws uh, and a win so far this season. Manchester City, I'm sure, will be back to winning ways very, very soon. But what about Chelsea? We'll talk about them next on the game. Leeds United have had a refreshing start under Jesse Marsh, smashing Chelsea 3-0 this weekend, even though Thomas Tuchel thought his side were far better. Uh, It's two wins and a draw so far for Leeds at the start of the season. Of course, we know they're in a relegation battle last season. I've been impressed with them. Firstly, they look like real fighters. I think Leeds United have been that for a while. Marcelo Bielsa had that intensity there as well. I think watching Leeds United against Chelsea this weekend, there seems to be a little bit more direction, a little bit more channeling of that intensity in the right areas, in the right way. And it's led to an excellent result here and a great start to the season. Tony, you've been impressed? Oh, absolutely. What I witnessed yesterday was pretty extraordinary. And it, I was thinking as the game was going on that most managers go into a football club and they'll go, players are not fit enough. Well, Jesse Marsh, <laughs> when he walked into Nuka, um, walked into Leeds, said they're too fit. As in, they're doing so much training, they need to switch or just pull down it, pull it down a bit on the effort that they're putting in training in games, a bit more reserved on the type of pressing. They were superb yesterday. You know, what they did, I, I'm, Chelsea did one thing. We talked about Alan Sir Maximin a, a bit earlier about carrying a ball. There were too many Chelsea players carrying the ball. Cocorella was doing it too often. Uh, Reese James was doing it. Then you look at Sterling and you can go Havertz as well. There were so many Chelsea players carrying the ball that were just running into traffic, which is fine sometimes we have an individual doing it. But when you had as a collective too many Chelsea players carrying the ball, Leeds were just, just swarmed them all over the pitch. And I thought they did it brilliantly. Um, I wasn't surprised by the goal, the opening goal. It didn't surprise me where a goalkeeper has other options and chooses just to try and be a little bit clever. We're seeing that often. There's very few that can, you know. Well, listen, do you think we've reached, that's an interesting point, do you think we've reached peak praise of goalkeepers being good with their feet? Because I think that I think they're actually under pressure not to just get hoof it, not to get rid yeah, of they it, are. but yeah. to look like they're elegant the on the ball, and... they're going sh- to switch feet, they're going to just look a li- do a little shimmy and then pass it to the left if they want to, pass it to the right if they want to. Ooh, they spotted a run down the middle, they'll do that as though they're in their own little world yeah. of superb keeperdom. And it's almost like we take the mickey out of any keeper who all he wants to do is just get it clear. Well, I tell you what, this has frustrated me and I, I think I might have read somewhere, Gregor, that you've done a, a piece on this somewhere along. I might be wrong. But um, the academies and the whole sort of pathway through football is that it doesn't matter the, if goalkeepers lose the ball. The, you must try and pass out from the back. So all through the academies and the, the younger element of football, they always saw it doesn't matter. We want to play this way. Well, you can... Stop having coke and you can stop having a beer and you might not have a cigarette all during the week and you prepare prepare brilliantly. What a horrible life. Yeah, okay. You know, (laughs) all these things they want to stop, but no one seems to dare say, don't take a risk in a ridiculous area. If if it gets caught under your feet, which it quite clearly does for Mendy, the option is clear it anywhere, but don't try and be clever. And it seems to be that the idea is that the let off for the goalkeeper is, well, I'm told it's... This is the way we play and we're going to continue to play this way. Well, I'm seeing more and more goals and teams robbing the ball off of goalkeepers that 
only I I went through Greg and my whole list of goalkeepers I played with, and I worked out that I've had about twenty odd goalkeepers, and I reckoned there was only two that I felt that were capable of having the ball at their feet and be really good with it, not just you know being clearing it and but actually keep it, control it, pass it around at the back. Out of twenty odd. I mean, yeah, the the game has been transformed in that regard, and we, we can reference that same game again, Hugh. Um, Murich. Yeah, Murich for Burnley. He, you know, Vincent Company's their manager. Yeah. Murich came from Man City. This is the way he's been taught to do it, and he gifted them gifted Blackpool a goal at the weekend. There's another one, Jamal Blackman, Exeter oh, yeah. City. I think that was the weekend before. He did two ridiculous tricks with two players closing down, and it was like in his own box. And you're thinking, if this goes wrong, like you look a real, a real dafty, and. But this is the way that goalkeepers are now. He's, he's he came through Chelsea's academy. Yeah. This is the way goalkeepers are now taught to play. And I, I, look, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm with you personally. I think there's a time and a place. And I know that sounds like that's a cliche, but mm. it's true. But like he, goalkeepers now, it's it's like it's so deeply sort of embedded in their in their uh, psyche, the way that they're expected to play, that they do take these risks. And and at the moments when they shouldn't. So I'm not saying don't build play from the back. Don't you know, don't play play it to your defenders, don't play it to your centre half, don't do anything like that. I'm not saying that. Just you have to recognise when the time is right to kick it long. And I think a lot of goalkeepers now can't recognise that time because that it's so deeply fun- embedded that's, that's in That's my the- point. Yeah, that's, yeah. It's, absolutely. That is a fundamental absolutely. part of being a goalkeeper. In fact, it's the fundamental part of being a goalkeeper, actually, because most people can stretch to ward off a shot and there are techniques in how you fall and how you do it and everything. But it's it's your mentality of understanding yeah. how dangerous a moment is. Well, and if you're, as a Liverpool if fan, if you yeah, okay, <laughs> Liverpool fan, watching yeah. Yeah. Carrius, watching Adrian. <laughs> when Adrian was in goal for Liverpool, every time I got the ball, he got the ball at his feet. Oh, my head was. Yeah, no, head, I don't like it. I had my hands no, on my head, I don't like thinking, it. "What? Yeah. Don't just get rid of it, you. You're not good. Surely, it's like saying to me, here's one for you, Gregor.' And I had this." with a manager that I played under and his name was Liam Brady who was an incredible footballer and I wasn't playing particularly well at Celtic all and... your stories start with I wasn't playing particularly well <laughs> well <laughs> yes I know I know but anyway I wasn't playing particularly well this time and Lots Liam Brady and Liam Brady said to me and Liam's a great friend and I love him dearly and I I said to him I'm sorry he said to me in the dressing room at half time I want you to drop in the hole when we, we've got the ball to like drop, try and build up the play a bit a bit earlier for us and I said well that's not really my strength Liam I want to be behind people I want to come across fullbacks or attack the ball he says that's not really my strength and he said in front of the dressing room well so my 1.2 million pound striker can't do what I want him to do <gasps> so I've turned around and said well Liam what about if I get the ball out wide and ping it at the far post and you come in at the far post and net it in you can't do it could you and he had a go at me at the time. Well, we had a drink afterwards and a few days later, and he said, what you said in the dressing room wasn't fair. I said, well, all I was trying to do, Liam, is describe that that's not my strength. I, I was just giving you your weakness, which was, was because he was a fabulous player, as in footballer, but he couldn't be at the far post and head things back or knock things down for player. So that was my point. Mm. And, and, and I, I, I simplify that for goalkeepers. Some goalkeeper, Loris, is not good with his feet. Don't give him the ball. David De Gea, awful with his feet. He, you know, as, yes, he can tell you, yes, he, he can play for, out from the back. He can't, not to the level that he's required. So that is the problem for goalkeepers. And you've got all these goalkeepers who are not first choice and they're being told they're not first choice because they can't play it out 
beautifully from the back. They're not good enough with the ball at the feet. So that's what they're trying to... They're trying to become something they're not. And so when they get their chance, you'll get... all Because you just made a list of keepers that are not, you know, they've had to move or go on loan because they're not going to get the chance yeah. in the bigger club. Gregor, you did. Uh, I mean, Jamal Blackman at Chelsea. Mm-hmm. He's not going to get. He's not going to play at Chelsea. But, he, but he, he'll have been told. Well, you know, we've got someone who's really good with the ball at his feet. Yeah, and that's yeah. probably not why he became a goalkeeper in the first I, I, place, I, I, is it? I mean, the Leeds fans are raging right now. We've, we, just... yeah, we've got to give them credit. Let's give Leeds <laughs> yes. lots of credit. We've now. Just never a three-nil victory into a goalkeeper <laughs> error because ultimately, yeah. you know, Mendy should have given it the old Boaz Mile and smashed it off for a corner, but. You well, know. look, the, the thing that I was thinking watching this about Leeds is this sounds like the most basic analysis on earth. So I'll just <laughs> give, me, give me a second. Every time they close them down, they try and win the ball back. Mm. And that is something that is not true of most teams and most defenders and most teams even press. You know, pressing is now the most fashionable word in football's lexicon. It's, you know, but a lot of teams do it as, a, as an action, as like a, a motion rather than an intention. They go and they try and win the ball every time. They might give a foul away. They might, you know, mm. as Thiago got a barge in the shoulder after he passed the ball towards the end. Like that was in like the 80-something minute. They go and try and win it. Yeah. And, and Aronson was a prime example of that. So they deserve huge credit for that. So, I, mean, I love watching it too because I know yeah. that's the hardest thing because when you go and try and win the ball as a, mm. as a defender, you leave yourself open if you don't do it then, you know, they could go in behind you. So if you ask me what the, who the, who's the best 1v1 defender in, in the Premier League now, I would say Tyreek Mitchell's right up there for the same reason. He doesn't just go and close the winger down, he goes and he wins the ball. And I know how hard that is. And Leeds now are a prime example of team of a team who have got that as their, like, their very heart of their identity is going and pressing and actually trying to win the ball back. And this is how, they're, yeah. this is how they were so successful yesterday. And give Jesse Marsh a lot of credit because you talked about Aronson who has come and, you know, he looks like a revelation already. The boy Adams in midfield, they're two Americans. Yeah. He's brought them over. He's, he know a lot of managers like to go to players they've worked with or, or they know really well because they feel very, they've got a lot of trust in them of what they're capable of doing. And he somehow reinvented slightly the way Bielsa's great style was, but it feels like it's got a defensive element that's far more... You can tr- you can really believe that they know what they're doing in it and they don't look like the team that are going to collapse and give five goals away, which is an extraordinary thing to do. It's the it's the RB Leipzig, RB Salzburg connection as well and the style yeah, of football yeah. that they've played uh, at those clubs, which I think obviously Jesse March being a coach there as well, I think just fits, doesn't it? Aside from their nationality too. Tony, I've got to ask you about the forward line at Chelsea. Yes. No number nine. I played really well there. for uh, <laughs> <laughs> Just to make Ali happy. Any concerns about the lack of a genuine number nine? Yeah, I, Kai Havertz is a really talented lad in many ways, but he just feels like he's a fringe player in that Chelsea team. And there is some, look, he had some big moments last season, the type of goals he got, but they are screaming out for someone that just not necessarily leads the line, but just given a moment will be really clinical. You know, if I think of Diego Costa or Didier Drogba, which they've had in recent years, they always felt even when they were, they both liked to lead the line. The, the, the team was built on them and players getting on up with them and beyond them to cause problems. It just feels a bit lightweight and... There was a lot, like I said earlier, there was a lot of carrying the ball with, for Chelsea yesterday, which got them in a lot of trouble. And and Tuchel can say that, you know, they should have been in front 2-0. I totally disagree. I thought 
Chelsea caused Leeds a few issues, but not much more. And by the end of the game, we're overrun. And the forward line is a big issue. And Aubameyang is seemingly going to be the target they go for. And he worked with him when he was in his 20s, Aubameyang. Now he's he's looking at 33-year-old. Um, but you don't necessarily have to be a forward that chases all over the pitch for Chelsea. They have a lot of running elsewhere. So Angola Kante was so missed. You know, from what he was the week before now, he drove against Spurs. Um, but yeah, they got, of course, they got problems. They got no, they spent 140 million on Lukaku and Timo Werner, and both of them couldn't buy a goal for Chelsea. And yes, there was poor finishing, but they didn't look like they were going to get goals on a regular basis. Felt a bit sorry for Conor Gallagher saying last week, you know, I'd, yeah. I'd like to see him get a run in the team because he's a good player, but this was not a, a good day for Chelsea midfield, all round. In the midfield or to be two, a midfielder. Though. In the midfield too, yeah. was that the right decision? Yeah, well, look, I think he can do it. I do, because he's all, he's all action. He's got a bit of everything in his game. It was just a difficult day considering the energy that was all around him and yeah. he really didn't have any time or space. The team wasn't having a good day. Greg, but, I wonder carrying the ball, because another one was Loftus-Cheek. He kept carrying the ball. He carries it all the time. He's a, and he's six foot three. He's an absolute gladiator. Uh, lost his cheek as a physical presence. But he carries the ball all the time. And I, and that goes against Conor Gregor, the way he plays, you know? The, the way he wants to get into the box because he can't quite get the balls or the service in there because everyone's keeping the ball. Yeah. I mean, the thing with lost his cheek is he's been played out of position, in fairness to him. I don't think he's... That's he doesn't want well, to be playing on the right. I, I, I mean, I don't think he's good enough for Chelsea's ambitions. To I be mean, honest, the other thing that leapt out is Koulibaly needs to stop pulling shirts, or he will never be on the pitch. Yeah, because he's you know, yeah, you've got to, you know, look, you have to give him time to adapt to the league and whatnot, but he you can't do that because he's going to be he's going to be off so many times. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not a great day for Chelsea. Fantastic day uh, for Leeds United, who will go marching on, I'm sure, under Jesse Mars this season. Up next, we'll be talking about West Ham. Not a great start for them. Remember, though, if you're enjoying the podcast, rate us, leave us a review, and make sure you're subscribed. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings so you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. West Ham United were beaten 2-0 at home by Brighton this weekend. Brighton's quality, I think, continues to impress, but there are question marks over David Moyes' West Ham. They've had 38 shots in their opening three league games. They have not yet scored a goal. Uh, Moyes says the players are bedding in new faces, of course, and there is no reason to panic. Alison, any cause for concern for you? Well, there is. There is, because this isn't... Well, you could argue both ways, but I think there is cause to panic because this there were 
large chunks of West Ham season last season were like this. And it was glossed over by the fact they were excited about being in Europe and they're running Europe. And if they look tired, they could say, well, it's because of, you know, Thursday night football. It's exhausting. But the mood was generally one of, you know, they they they, they could win a trophy. Uh, they were getting early on. They got good results against big clubs. And they were sort of allowed to have these periods where they, they're just incredibly flat very strange. If, if I had to give an award to the team that was most often flat last season, it would have been West Ham. And he's had the whole summer and they've started off flat. Well, that's not good, is it? I mean, you know, and now, now European uh, football now just seems like, well, you know, it's not it's not the elite European football, so it's probably a bit, bit tiresome. They haven't got that energy from it. So what have they got? I'd have thought, you know, keeping Declan Rice keeping hold of him because a lot of people thought he'd go um, they should I don't know that should have given them the, a spur to I don't know remember the good things of last season build on those instead they seem to have the only remembering how to play badly I think they're in more than a small rut I think it might be a, a rather drawn out one mm. what do you think Tony West Ham United not scoring goals no what's the issue well, when they opened the campaign against Man City, which is always a difficult one because you know what you're up against and you know that they're going to cause you loads of problems. And I thought West Ham played, and Alison touched on it earlier, with you, you know loving to see Newcastle play with an ambition to try and score goals. West Ham did exactly the opposite. They just basically, their fullbacks sat alongside their centre-halves, didn't move, and they just tried to get everybody behind the ball that eventually Haaland made the, the difference. Um, and it sort of continued in that vein and it's hard to watch West Ham when they're bad I mean you know watching their forward line you would think well Ben Rama you know he's a talented boy um, <laughs> hasn't got his career going at West Ham at all and then you've got Bowen who's done the complete reverse who's had a brilliant time and come from the championship and looked fantastic for them he hasn't really got going either and then Antonio which he probably played more than anybody in any club in the pre, uh, in the Premier League last year of being the only forward that ever seemed to play. And then David Moy goes into the market and tries to address, address them issues. And they haven't really started because he's deemed them not fit enough. And they just look like... And I totally agree with Val where she said, when you look at a team that's flat, and when you're flat as a side and you're not quite believing you're, you're the side of last season so quickly, yeah, it's a dangerous period because they've... They suffered against a team that's probably everything they'd like to be like, even though they finished above them last year. You know, they finished above Brighton, but the gulf between the two teams was very evident yesterday. This wasn't a, a snatch, and, a snatch and grab. Was that the word? Yeah. Smash. Smash, smash and, and grab. grab. Oh, there you go. Bloody hell. Smash, <laughs> uh, smash and grab. This I prefer was, your version. Yeah. <laughs> it was a, a brilliant performance from a team that... Exactly, you know, I've got some free transfers and got centre forward that at 31 32 signed a new two year deal in Welbeck that looks such a more accomplished player than anything that West Ham have got. Um, so I think, I think Moyes likes to, he's so indecisive around transfers, it always feels to me. He's never, he does his business, it seems to take forever to do it. Whoever he brings in, it seems to go on and on. He did it at Everton. Never seemed to go, that's who I want, that's why, I, and, and feel the team. It always feels, 
he takes a lot of thinking over every. Well, there's nothing sort of wrong with that, but sometimes your gut feeling, and his team is a bit like that. He's going, well, I'm going to start him now. I'm going to start him. I will hold them back, and it feels like they need an injection, and maybe it's the new tra- uh, signings should be in that team right now. He said, he said, he has said that in fairness. I think he said we're not, you know, we're not at the level we want to be yet in terms of they've, they've been a bit unlucky in in terms of uh, Nayef Agard, who's their you know, a centre half they signed from from Ren in the summer. He's injured. Dawson was injured in pre-season. Uh, I think Zuma's carrying an injury. Um, and then Tilo Kerrer is another another signing, summer signing. I did a bit of a debut to forget uh, yesterday, gave away the penalty. So even that one part of the team at central defence is a bit mm. has been a bit of a problem issue for them. And that's you know where a couple of their their signings have been have been targeted for, and they've not really had the chance to to get them in the team on a regular basis yet. Look, we're only three games in. I think Well the, 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 the thing is the thing is goals. The yeah. thing is undoubtedly goals. I mean I think that will David Moy's team yeah. the way he sets them up, getting those players fit, I think they'll be okay defensively on the whole and the way that they set up. But they need Scamacha to hit the ground running when he's when he starts. And I think, you know, it's about getting him fit and ready for the but he needs Premier to start. League. He doesn't does need to start, doesn't he? I mean, he's been on the bench in all three Premier League games. He started the game in the Europa Conference League qualifier, scored. You've got to give him an opportunity. In West Ham, you signed a 30 million plus pound striker. You've got, I mean, surely he's been bought to start. Yeah, but look, I think he, I'm not entirely, I think he came quite late in the, uh, you know, just before the season started. He did have a pre-season, but um, the other thing is you'd think that that would give a bit of, uh, Antonio, a bit of impetus to think, right? I need to hold on to my my place here, but he's not been. This thing, Tony's right. He hit the nail on the head. If Antonio was not at it and on the money, and he was for a large part of the start of last season, if he's not, then West Ham just don't look like the same team. So uh, they need that's the that's the thing they need to find the answer to the the quickest. I think. Do you think they need to start the likes of Maxwell Corny, the likes of Skamaka? They need to be changing their forward line I mean I've got question marks over Ben Rama who I know the West Ham fans like and he's got a bit of quality but the end product just the delivery in the Premier League he just doesn't come up with the goals or assists and a lot of the play was going through him at the weekend you know I like Lanzini he's had his injury problems four nows you know these are very good players they're not creating enough you know we can talk about Antonio as well but in terms of his, his output but they're not creating enough for him to even finish finish chances off it's not like it's all on him yeah but Moyes is I think quite a deeply conservative coach he's not going to throw people in and say go on prove yourselves or let's see what you can do or he's, I don't think he's like that I think he he did the same with Ben Rama actually he took a long time to be to be sort of bedded into yeah. the team, so he's he's he he errs on the side of mistrust, yeah. I think, and he likes to know that the players understand him, and that he can rely on them, and you you don't with someone new you don't know that do you you don't know you you need you need the games in Europe as a testing ground, and you might be prepared to bring them off the bench if things aren't going well, but the whole mindset, and that's my over that's why I'm worried about West Ham. My, the whole mindset is one of negativity rather than. Wow, have we got a lot to build on? It just feels like there's a sense of oh, we're not going to have as good a season as we did last time. Sushek's an issue because he's a goal scorer for them. You know, he's a midfielder that gets on the end of crosses and uh, can drive into positions that even from set pieces, you feel like his goal tally is always going to be between sort of five and eight in a season in the Premier League, which is a decent return. And 
you know, he was rumoured to be out of West Ham in the summer. And it feels like he hasn't got quite going as well, which is, you know, the engine room of of Rice and Sushek is big for West Ham. So it feels like everybody's sort of a bit below what they should be. And look, we got you know, we talked about giving Newcastle credit and Leeds credit. Absolutely. You've got to give a huge amount of credit to Brighton again. Yeah, yeah, but you know, we're settling in. <laughs> You're not happy about giving them credit. Is, no, that, your, no. is that your response? <laughs> you really? Uh, well, you know. I'm about to give them credit, but what I was going to say is, it is now becoming. It's, no, no, no. <laughs> not begrudgingly at all. It's now a familiar story that they're a very, very good team. It's now quite a regular thing that we say, it's well, Brighton are very good. And I, I, yeah, but I don't want to belittle Brighton by, like, oh, plucky old Brighton, aren't they a good team? Like they're a very good team and they have been for a couple of seasons and we should expect them to show up and play well. And they did once again. So yes, credit to Brighton for their victory. But I don't want to always talk about Brighton like they shouldn't be getting results because as we've already seen this season, they're a very good side that should get results. It's not a surprise that they go to West Ham United and win. Maybe for their fans, maybe for historically. But ultimately, you know, what is this? They've, they've, they've they, I think their longest run ever was in London without losing was eight. I think now they're up to five games away from home in the capital, their last five games. They haven't lost. So, you know, it's it's, it's Brighton away from home in London. They like it. Do you know what I mean? So, look, they played very well. I do want to underline Danny Welbeck's performance once yeah. again. Uh, massive against Manchester United earlier on in the season. You know, Welbs for England. The chance of coming back. You know, he's been an England player. He's got, I think, what, in excess <laughs> of 40 I'm not caps? sure I heard that, Chan. No? <laughs> no, you weren't in the Brighton away section, then, obviously. Um, no, look, Danny Welbeck, when you talk about the England squad, you get an extra three players for the World Cup. 26. I'd bring an extra striker. There's going to be a few people putting their hands up for that position. Calvert-Lewin hasn't been great because of injuries, really. And, and Everton obviously haven't been great, but Ivan Tony's been excellent. Um, I think Welbeck is now going to be in the conversation. Callum Wilson at Newcastle United. You know, could Danny Welbeck make a late bid for inclusion to the World Cup? What do you think? If he's fit, yes, because I suspect Callum Wilson will not be. I mean, that the goal Callum Wilson scored was absolutely gorgeous. And you think if he was fit all the time, he'd be mm. like, called one of the greats of the game his finishing is astonishing I just I've just got this feeling come November he'll probably have some sort of injury he cannot yeah. stay fit for a whole season uh, to be fair well, he's had a lot of injuries yeah. 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 yeah I mean look Callum Wilson's injuries were serious ones our one day they were crucial ligaments would kept him out for nearly a year twice so um, Danny Welbeck is and because I've spoke to a few managers along the way who have managed Danny Welbeck were you playing well when you were speaking? No, no. <laughs> but, but everybody's got the same opinion. A fantastic squad player. That, as in, you get him in there and he'll find a way into his team. He's very I mean, popular, isn't he? Oh, very, very popular. popular. Roy Hodgson had him in England and always always selected Danny, didn't yeah. he? He always really, really enjoyed having him in the team because he offers so much you. As a player, he's a willing runner. He leads the line well. He's decent enough in the air. He's not as prolific a some of the major clubs. That's why I think United didn't quite happen for him. But he's looked such more of a... He's a far better player now at 31 than he was at 25, 26. I think he... You know, when he went to Arsenal, and that was um, you know a really decent period for him as in his performances, but he got a bad injury. And that bad injury held him back and eventually he went on a free transfer uh, further down the line. Danny Welbert's performances and fair play to 
to Brighton and the manager because they're giving him a new two-year. You can... The word trust, he's the ultimate trust player for me that you just go, I know what I'm getting. He'll never let me down and he'll produce in so many different ways for the team. Just been given a new contract extension, Danny Welbeck. But hes I think he's one of those. If he stays fit, you know, good with his yeah. feet, willing runner, good movement. Still quick. Yeah, I just think yeah. he's got the physical presence and... I think one of the key things is, especially with those extra three players, probably not going to play unless there's an emergency, but he's got that England experience. He's been away to tournaments, 42 England caps. So I think if you're bringing someone along, you, you can offer something to the group um, and who, who, you maybe isn't going to be too disappointed about not playing. You can bring it. You can bring a Danny Welbeck. Yeah. You know, I like him. Yeah. You know, I'm just saying I like him anyway. Well, so why... Man United didn't even go for a Danny Welbeck, and you might go, "Oh, the snobbery of Man United now, is it?" Uh, well, yeah, we're just signing sixty million pound centre mids from from Real Madrid with five European cups. We did that last summer with Varane. I mean, that's what we do. We, you know, we want trophies. You know, that's what yeah. we're that's what we're trying to bring in winners. No, I don't know what Man United are trying to do. To be perfectly honest, Tony, but <laughs> I agree with you. There's probably a bit of snobbery, and there's a few players I like at Brighton as well. I think you were saying Alex McAllister a little bit earlier on. Um, played pretty well this weekend. He's growing into the the team. I like Trossard. I know some people think he doesn't deliver a lot, but second goal was was lovely, and Pascal Gross having a good season so far. So all credit to Brighton and Graham Potter who continue to do great things. Before we end the podcast, there is one other team. Maybe we should have spoken about them earlier, but again. Again, you know, it's Arsenal. 3-0 win. <laughs> well, it's true, right? 3-0 win against Bournemouth. Um, the first time they have won their first three games of the season since 2004. Not a bad side back then. Under Arsene Wenger, of course. So the question is really, how seriously are we taking Arsenal? Well, I might have judged this completely wrong because I watched the All or Nothing documentary and just thought, what a laughing stock. I, I, I mean, honestly, why do they let that go out? Ridiculous. And I was at an event. Why do I say event? I was at a wedding. I was at a <laughs> wedding and there were uh, some Arsenal fans there. And they had watched the All or Nothing documentary and they thought it was amazing, genius. And they were really, pr they were really proud of their players and really proud of their coach. And they didn't think the team talks, you know, you know having to give the team talk of your life and talk about your heart surgery just to beat Norwich. They didn't think that was <laughs> overblown. They thought that was amazing and it made them love Arteta more. So maybe what I think of as cringe is actually <laughs> is actually working and he's got the players working for him, in love with him. It's all about love at that club now. And he's been able to work out the characters who he can work with and get rid of the ones that he doesn't. And if the fans are going to be not like they normally are, because I was having an argument at this wedding, because they were saying, you know, uh, the atmosphere is fantastic. And I was saying, yeah, but the minute, the minute it goes wrong, you'll all leave on 60 minutes. Won't uh, the, you? the atmosphere at the wedding. Well, the atmosphere at the wedding. <laughs> oh, the football, sorry. Was, was good, actually, because there were a lot of football fans there. But yeah, the, the atmosphere at Arsenal games, you know, it, it, it they turn so quickly and that's not good for the team. But if they all if they all buy into it and they haven't all walked away because of the all or nothing documentary astonishingly haven't and maybe maybe they can keep it chugging along and they'll 
they'll happily finish top four, maybe. Oh, I was just thinking now of the bride and groom who are delighted you're having conversations at their wedding with <laughs> <laughs> the Arsenal documentary. I watched it and I really enjoyed it. And I tell you why I really enjoyed it because. Do you get why Arsenal fans like it? Yeah. Because they saw such an intense man yeah. there that yeah. even go to extraordinary lengths and do silly stories and, you know, is this a duck or is this a rabbit? And, yeah, you know, some of that all, all of that is that. <laughs> it, it just made you feel like it was somewhat back to normal. And, endearing. Endearing, yeah, absolutely. He saw cartoons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, there was one thing that it was like when they played Liverpool and he decided to put around the training ground that, you know, oh. you'll never walk alone mm. or the, the noise of Anfield and the chanting. It was things like that. You're thinking, he's so thinking outside the box and yes there was a cringy side to it and I'm sure behind the scenes the Arsenal players were what the hell was that about you know which you would do as a player um, but there was also a drive a drive by a man who was so obsessed of trying to improve the Times did a brilliant picture on Saturday of the team you see the picture on Saturday with the team with all the uh, the players that were there. When, oh, yeah, uh, that yeah. was good. That. It was a yeah, fantastic yeah, yeah. picture and it sort of indicated his direction of how he saw the team evolve and which you are watching now. I mean, I look at their forward line, I think, wow, they look so dangerous. Odegaard, what a good player he is, footballer. And he came and he wasn't quite fit when he first came from Real Madrid and he's grown into a much better player. And then you look at the rise of Martinelli and and, and I'd also, Saka was quiet-ish, but still a top player. And then you look at Gabriel Jesus. It's like, wow, he's, he's moulded this team into, offensively, into a very good side. I think there's still... You know, right from well, the, 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 the two acquisitions from Manchester City were just ready to go, weren't they? Wow. You don't have to mould anything. Gabby Jesus, <laughs> stick him out there. Alexander Zinchenko, we know we spoke about him earlier, but I thought he was magnificent. Yes, he was and he on was weekend, yeah. coming into that midfield rotation with Jacka. Two of them, Price Casemiro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, obviously, Manchester City aren't worried about Arsenal if they're just giving them their players for cut price fees. Um, you can take, you can, you know, read into that what you will, but, um, but Arsenal are reaping the rewards ultimately. Just about everything Gabby Jesus has done so far is turning to gold. Like it's, it's, it's ridiculous, and Zinchenko too. I know you admire them both. His his control and sort of barge in one motion was just absolutely magnificent to watch. I was at this game and everyone we just I sat beside Tom Roddy and we both just sort of went because <gasps> <laughs> it was both brutal and kind of like you know graceful as well. And he just we like slalomed between the I think three players and slipped in Martinelli. He's like, he's like a little street fighter. It's, you know, we've seen him play, but it's, but this seems something different. I don't know. He's, he's always been, he's always had that edge, but I don't know that he's leading the line. He seems to be more. Well, it's just more important. This he's is, more important for them. That's the yeah, thing. Yeah, I was speaking somewhere else about out. Gabby Jesus being back to the player that basically got him a move to Europe and to Manchester City which is this sort of tenacious little fighter of a striker who's brilliant in front of goal by the way mm. you know a, a sort of mini Tevez you know like someone who just yeah. is always around the ball always sniffing gets it pushes people off good with his feet loves a shot you know he probably could have scored a couple of goals on another day in this game um, but look the three, the, the three the three big things as you said have all just worked out so perfectly so far for them and that Jesus is on fire Zinchenko as you said the way they worked out those rotations with Martinelli as well Jack is, Jack is like going into the forward line yeah. for large parts of the first half Zinchenko comes in field Martinelli comes out wide sometimes he switch sometimes Jacka comes out It's that's brilliant that's working brilliantly and he saw, actually saw Arteta after like two minutes pulling aside Zinchenko and like whispering in his ear saying yeah and they saw, they saw that this 
the chance it was on you know that they won't be able to do it every game but they did it and Odegaard sometimes is going out to kind of the right wing so there's so much kind of fluidity and I said that in my, my match report this is exactly what Arteta has been working towards and part of it is what we saw in the documentary the intensity and stuff yeah. part of it is the picture we saw in the Times he's got his own players in now he's got rid of the ones he doesn't want and part of it is just a kind of a new vibe around Arsenal as well there's one thing that I'm not going to give him credit for because Saliba William Saliba <laughs> went on loan and is developed and won young player of the year in France last year it was at Marseille right yeah um He's come back into the team this year. He's always made big noises about his own talent. Got himself a, you know, call up to the France national team. He looks ready to go in the Premier League. I mean, aside from the fact he scored a a brilliant goal, the stature of him, the poise of him, you know, the tenacity so far, the hunger. I mean, it's like a new signing. It's his fourth season at Arsenal. So why, why wouldn't you give Arteta credit for that? Because he hasn't been coaching him. That's the only reason. Uh, okay, so you don't think that uh, along the way that he they might have gone, well, we're watching him at Marseille this season we'll, and someone will be sent from Arsenal, which is clearly what happens at football clubs of that level. They go and watch them. They talk about his development. Arteta would have seen and watched videos of him over a long period of time, I'm sure. Mm. Um, no, of course he would, Hugh. He uh, would listen, just go, oh, let's get him back and have a look. No, what I'm saying is... There was a clear what, what I'm saying direction a, there. A little bit over a year ago, there were question marks over whether Arteta wanted him at all. Well, so whatever he saw the in the is, last season has changed his mind massively. Well, He's gone from being so a player... you have to give him credit for being open-minded. Well, yeah, OK, I'll give him credit for yes, that. But, I think but, you, you're you being know. a bit harsh. No, no, no. I'm not, listen, I'm not saying Arsenal don't deserve credit. What I'm just saying is, as a coach, Mikel Arteta, I can't give him all the credit. No. But you have Marseille, to give the player a lot, a lot yeah, of the credit. Yeah, De Marseille, you know, De Marseille yes. get no credit for yes, they do. They developing do. this kid, having him as a young player of the year Well, I know France. they were delighted to have him for that time, and there was a lot of big development in him, but that was the whole intention of sending a player away to develop. Okay. It's not to go, oh, we don't want him. If they'd, have, if they'd have gone back, imagine this, if Arteta had gone, well, no, no, he's okay, he can go elsewhere and he shines. Like Chelsea have been guilty of with some of their younger players, that they've been sent on loan and they've yeah. done really well, but they come did, back they, and then they, they've been they, redundant. Yeah, they paid almost 30 million for Saliba. So well, yeah. <laughs> slightly different it's in not, terms of your academy players. It's not 60 players. million, is it? No, it's, why are you at me in Man United today? <laughs> Blimey, I'm just trying to enjoy my job here. Um, no, Saliba, look, excellent. Credit to Arteta, credit to Saliba, credit to Marseille as well. Um, but this is, he's, he, in terms of their signings, he's almost the main yeah. reason that I think Arsenal needs to be taken more seriously as opposed to hmm. even Jesus and Zinchenko because Ben White 50 million was one of those that you still had question marks over he hadn't played that badly at Arsenal but you were like is this going to be a centre back that you can really hang your hats on I actually like Gabriel but I know some Arsenal fans a lot of them thought Ben White was the better of the two but you know when this game game of opinions and whatnot I think I think Saliba and, and Gabriel is going to be you know a very strong centre back pairing I mean in this game Kiefer Moore roughed, roughed uh, Gabriel up a few times in the first half and then there was a time where I think Ben White played a loose pass and he got a chance and he got ahead a run on Saliba as well and he knocked it past him and Saliba just opened up and like ushered him out and then like I think did, did some kind of trick on the touchline or even though he played it off him and won, won his own team a throw in he's just been absolute mustard so far so look he's young 
and they'll be bigger tests ahead. Yeah. But the fans love him too. I mean, that song, uh, <laughs> singing his name to the tequila, tequila by the champs. <laughs> yeah. They were belting that out all evening, and it was. Uh, I think I think I think uh, Arteta said afterwards that the, the players were singing in the dressing room after too. So I think they're 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 all the same. They're all thinking, you know, where's this guy come from? Um, we're glad we've got him. And I think Gregor had a lovely time on the south coast. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> nice day out for Gregor. That was nice. The sun was shining. Yeah. Yeah. The comfortable Arsenal win as well. Yeah, Rosie. Tony, what's the best song that the fans have ever had for you? We don't need a hero. We've got Tony Cascarino. Oh. Okay. Don't, don't ask me that. <laughs> they didn't have a Gregor Robertson chance. No, poor uh, Robos, maybe. Robo. <laughs> uh, listen, thank you guys for being great company once again. Tony Cascarino, Gregor Robertson, and Alison Rudd. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you subscribe to the Times app. Loads of great stuff. We've got a big game coming tonight. Uh, Manchester United hosting Liverpool in the Premier League. Um, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, obviously the game's already passed. But Tony, since you're with us, what do you think will happen? Liverpool win. Well, okay, start your neck out there, Alison. 6 0, Liverpool. <laughs> Any chance for Man United, Gregor? Uh, no, I think I'll lose. Sorry, yeah. I'm going for the one all draw. 11 players behind the ball. Most boring game yeah. in football history. I'll take it all day long. Please, God, just don't lose. Again, that's all I'm saying. All right, we'll be reacting to that on Thursday. Of course, we will. We'll look ahead to another big weekend. We've got the Carabao Cup coming too. So make sure you're back with us then. Hit subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. And of course, we'll see you on Thursday. Uh, subscribe as well to the Times app. Of course, you can get it at thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. We'll see you soon. helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.